Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central today where we seek transformation. We're looking for life change. We're looking for our communities to change. We're looking for the world to change all by the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you experience his presence here among us today. We're in the fourth week of our Life by Design series, examining what it means to be made in God's image. And if you've been with us, we started with that we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to God. Our creator and redeemer sets the, the boundaries for our flourishing in this world. And then we examine that we've been made as the pinnacle of all creation for fellowship with God. Face-to-face, -face, personal, intimate fellowship with God and with one another. And last week, we examined how we've been made body and soul, male and female, and gloriously so. Our bodies matter to God. How we use our bodies matters to God. And this morning, we're going to consider why life in this world is so hard. What is it about this world that makes it so difficult for us to live for the Lord? What's gone wrong? And how has God done something about it? To borrow Francis Schaeffer's language, as image bearers of God, we are glorious ruins. We're glorious ruins, but God hasn't left us in that state of ruin. He sent Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, we can be made new. We're going to look at a couple of passages in the Bible this morning from Genesis chapter 3 and from Galatians chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to keep it open. We're going to look at some other verses around our passages that are printed in our bulletins. And so keep it open. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find a black pew Bible in the rack in front of you. And if, if you don't have a Bible, take it home with you to read and study and know the Lord and his word. So let's pray as we turn our hearts to his word. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we behold Jesus, open our hearts that we would receive him and renew our wills that we would follow after him. Lord, do a mighty work among us, we pray. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In the name of Christ, we ask it. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. It's on page 3 in your pew Bible. And to Adam, God said, Because if you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, on page 973 in your pew Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What's wrong with you? <laughs> 
I know we often think that about other people. What's wrong with you? Let's turn toward us too. What's wrong with me? G.K. Chesterton once responded to uh, a call in, in the newspaper in London, uh, a call to write an essay, What's Wrong with the World? And his answer was, Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world is me. He signed his name. What's wrong? We know that this world is messed up. It's falling apart. Wars, disease, Alzheimer's, busted up friendships, marriages that are broken, things big and things small fall apart. And there's a reason why. We just read about it in Genesis 3. Things fall apart even with people who are close to us. I mean, for example, have you ever looked at a magazine and see one of those ads for a portrait company? Where they put all these people together, the family together, and they photograph them and everybody's dressed perfectly. They're all posed exactly the right way. They're, they're dressed alike, matchy-matchy for the portrait, you know, and they, they look so happy. And you ever wonder, what's wrong with us? We're not like that. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Or worse, at Christmas, when all the Christmas cards come and they're all these families that are dressed exactly alike, and they all have their white linen shirts on press and the khaki pants and they're on the beach and they're po- posed on the sand dune exactly right and the, the grass is growing and the sun and the, the, everything is beautiful with the water behind them, even gleaming white teeth. It's perfect. <laughs> and then you look at your own family and you think, we've got spaghetti sauce on the walls. We've got we got crazy stuff happening at our table. We can't get along. We fight. Brothers and sisters hate each other. And we might even think, look, I know I have to love you because we're in the same family, but I do not like you. I don't like being around you. I wonder what's wrong. Things fall apart. Even things when, and people who are supposed to be bound together, things fall apart. And we learn why here. It has to do with God's design, our beautiful, good design that we've been studying over the past few weeks. It's been ruined by the entrance of sin into the world, and it's, it's bringing destruction. We've fallen into sin, and it's harmed us all, but God hasn't left us there. He's acted to bring restoration. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We are ruined, but God restores Let's look at that first point. We are ruined. We've studied a couple of, of several weeks in a row, Adam and Eve being made for intimate personal fellowship with God, face-to-face with God, and, and face-to-face and in intimate relationship with one another, male and female, made to be in community with each other. But God told them in chapter 2, verse 17, you can eat of all the trees in the garden. Anything that I've made, you may, may eat freely of it except for this one tree. The tree of knowing good and evil. Stay away from that tree. Now, there wasn't anything magical about the tree of knowing good and evil, but there's something particular in the name God gave it. It was the tree of knowing good and evil, not in the sense that if they ate its fruit, then magically their eyes are open and they can finally tell right from wrong. That's not what happened. But it was the tree of knowing good and evil in the sense of determining for yourself what's good and what's evil. 
It's the way that the Bible uses that word knowing for intimate knowledge, personal knowledge. What God forbid Adam and Eve from doing is deciding themselves, God, we know that you said we shouldn't eat of that tree, but I'm not so sure about that. I think I want to decide for myself what is right and wrong. I, I, I know, God, that you said don't go that way, but I listened to the voice of the serpent and he, he says, did God really say, did he mean that? Really? And Adam and Eve began to wonder, maybe God's holding out on us. Maybe there's something wonderful about that thing that's forbidden from us. And maybe we should just decide for ourselves if we really need the fruit on that tree. Because it could be that that's the key to being satisfied right there. Can you hear the trouble that's already beginning? Before Adam and Eve ever took and ate of the fruit, they had already elevated themselves to the place of being peers with God. And they have begun to judge God. They've begun to judge and say, God, I don't know that we can trust your word. I don't know that we are able to trust that you will tell us and you really know what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. And they said, Lord, ultimately, I don't think that we can trust you. We're going to decide for ourselves. We're going to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. And that prideful, self-determining, self-willed heart took shape of eating of that fruit of the tree and it plunged the whole creation into destruction and deceit and chaos. Now, here's why that story matters to you and to me. We're descendants of Adam and Eve, our first parents, not only physically, but we also have inherited their rebellious nature. At the core of their sinful hearts was that impulse, that prideful impulse of, I want to be in the place of God's judge. He can't tell me what's right. I'll determine that for myself. And friends, that's what's at the core of all of our sinful hearts as well. God, you can't be trusted. I can only trust myself. I will listen to what I want as what's most important in this world because after all, I belong to myself not you. That's what's at the core of all of our sinful hearts. You boil down every sinful action, every impulse that we have of rebellion against God, and that's the core. I can't trust you. I must lean on my understanding. Get verse 17, where God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. You see, Eve prioritized the voice of the devil who was speaking through that serpent over God's voice. And Adam did exactly the same thing. He prioritized another voice over God's. And you and I do the same thing so often because we have that same nature, that same drive to be our own authorities. I belong to myself. We feel it in that inner voice. We hear it when we talk to ourselves and we begin to think, God, you must be holding out on me. This thing out there that I really want, it looks refreshing, it looks pleasurable, it looks beautiful, and I'm not sure that I can trust when you say it's not good for me. I'm not so certain about that, God. Have you ever had that thought run through your mind? I think I probably know better, Lord, what's good for me than you do. That drive where the Lord says no, we're attracted to it all the more. It's like what, what Paul says in Romans 7, the law incites us to sin. When someone tells us no, we want to chase after it all the more, don't we? It's that broken part of our heart, that 
sinful part of our nature. It's in us as adults all the time. We even see it in our kids, don't we? How many times have you told a toddler no and they turn around and do exactly what you just told them not to do? Happens all the time, doesn't it? I mean, I can think of times when, when my kids were, were little and we would tell them, Missy and I would tell them, don't, you can't have this cookie. And it was like it became a power struggle over this cookie. And I, I can remember times when both of my kids would just grab hold of that cookie or whatever they weren't supposed to have and look me straight in the eyeballs as they put it in their mouth and <laughs> took a bite. That's our nature's. God says no, and, he, and we say, watch me. <laughs> watch me. It's the rebellion that we have in our souls. Lord, I'm not sure that you know what's right for me. I know what's better for me. It began in the garden, and it affects you and I here in St. Louis in 2023. That fall into sin, that, that falling away from that personal, intimate, holy fellowship with God in the garden, that fall affects every part of your life. It affects your emotions. It affects your will. It affects your body. It affects your mind. It affects everything about you. Not only that, it introduces alienation. That fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God was broken. Verse 8, they hide from God. Where are you, God asked them, and they go hide from him. You and I hide from God too. We hide from each other because we're ashamed. We, we know that there's something wrong with us, but we don't want it thrown in our face. And so we and go hide. We're alienated from God. We're alienated from each other. And it brings dis, dysfunction into our relationships. Look at verse 16, where God told Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. You hear the dysfunction? What had been harmony and complement and community has devolved into control and domination. It's like the two people who were made to fit together have turned against each other and what was teamwork and partnership is now an adversarial relationship. One saying, it's my way or the highway and the other saying, you watch out because I'm in charge. I will dominate this situation happens between husbands and wives. It happens with friends. It happens with parents and children. It happens with teachers and students. It's part of what's wrong with us. That's why we fight at the dinner table. It's because of this. Because God's beautiful design of male and female in complete harmony with each other has been shattered. And what's left behind is hostility, control, and domination. It's everywhere. It affects every relationship that you're in. Not only that, but verse 17, God says, cursed is the ground because of you. The whole creation is damaged by our sin. The thorns and thistles of verse 18 are, are emblems of the crash of creation. They, they grow up, the, the, the plants are, are inhospitable, they're, they're, they're prickly, they hurt us in this fallen creation. There's pain in the world, God says. There's toilsome work. Work used to be beautiful and good, and now it's frustrating and it's hard and sometimes fruitless. It's all because of the fall. But not only that, 
Not only do we, are we alienated, not only do we have hostility toward each other, not only is the whole creation subject to sin now, but there's physical death here too. In verse 19, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now, the serpent, the devil using the serpent lied to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say you're gonna die? Of course, they didn't die immediately. But if you flip the page over, what do you see? Cain killed Abel. There's death. You flip it over one more page and you see chapter five and all the genealogies in Genesis chapter five. You may have been tempted to skip over those genealogies when you read your Bible, but they prove a point right here. The devil said, you shall not surely die. You read the list of the generations. Adam lived so many years and died. Seth lived so many years and died. This one lived and died. This one lived and died. Die, 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 die. Over and over. Because the devil lies to us. The devil lies. And, the, and the, one of the, the consequences of the fall is death. We are ruined. And because of our sin, the whole creation is ruined. So let's close in prayer. You ready? (laughs) Just kidding. We wouldn't do that. (laughs) How awful would it be if that were the end of the story? It's what we deserve. But it's not the end of the story. The end of the story isn't ruin. The end of the story is that God restores. That's what he does. He sees us in our, our, our destruction and in our chaos and captivated to our sin. But God restores us because he loves us. What is a ruined human life worth? What's a human life that's ravaged by sin? What's it worth? It's worth so much that the curse that was pronounced on man and woman in Genesis 3 is more or less an announcement of what Jesus, the Son of God, would come to take on himself as he entered this world for us. He took on a body like ours. He took on a body just like ours in this busted up creation filled with hardship and toil. He worked a a job with his hands. He was a carpenter. He got splinters in his hands. He probably hit himself in the hand with a hammer. He hurt, just like we hurt in this broken down world. He was alienated from his friends, alienated from his family. Some of them even thought that he was crazy. He endured the pain of torture on a cross, the most brutal, humiliating death known to man at the time. And Jesus, the Son of God, entered into this world to give himself to that. He died terribly alone. All of the people abandoned him, even his father, On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even the father turned his face away from Jesus, abandoned on the cross. And it was all because of the payment for the curse that we introduced into this world. All the places, all the the consequences of your and my sin, all of our condemnation, all of our judgment, fell on Jesus as he endured the curse that we deserved. Adam and Eve didn't listen to God. 
God said, do not go after that tree. And they did it anyway. But God the Father told Jesus, you go to that tree where you will be nailed to that tree in condemnation. And Jesus listened. He went to pay the consequences of our sin, to remove our judgment, and even to reverse the curse on creation itself. All of it's going to be undone on the last day. So friends, I I don't want you to hear this today as something that causes you despair. Don't despair as if the way you feel now It's the way you're always gonna feel. The the pain, the alienation, all the ways that you feel the curse in your own body and in your own life. Don't despair because it won't always be this way because Jesus came and he died and he was raised from the dead so that healing and restoration has begun. We are ruined, but God restores us because he sent Jesus to bear the curse in our place to bear all of the curse the full wrath of the curse in our place but what about right now how how are we supposed to get by in this in-between time between his first coming and his second coming when everything will be made right how are we supposed to live right now when I know so much about what's wrong with me and you know what's wrong with you how do we live now Get Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't want us to blow by that point. If you've been in church for a while, you may have heard that verse again and again. And... (laughs) You just may not have heard how strange it is and how profound it is. Because if we just cruise by this this verse in the Bible, we can be left with a misunderstanding of what Christianity is all about. I know I have been. There were seasons in my life, and I've talked to other friends and and other pastors who had this same misunderstanding that that plagued them for a while. And uh, here's what I mean by that. For a long time, I thought that Christianity was about being forgiven for all my sin. And it is. And not only being forgiven for all my sin, but I get to go to heaven when I die. And that's great. It's part of it. But I perceived that in Christianity, I just would live out my days as the same old me I always was. But I was just forgiven. I lived my life the same way, did the same things, loved the same things, pursued the same things. The only difference is I'm forgiven now and I wasn't forgiven before, as if that's Christianity. But it's not. It robs the gospel of the power that God says this truth has in your life and mine. What Paul says here in Galatians 2.20 is that when you believe in Jesus, if you've trusted your life to Christ, surrendered your life to him, rolled all of your, your hopes for now and the future onto the shoulders of Jesus, then you are united to him. You've been joined together to Jesus. You have a real participation in the living son of God. And that means what Paul says here, the old you has died 
that old you that you'd always been, the one that deserved the curse, the one that was trapped by all of this sin, by all of this dysfunction, that old you has been killed, been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It's like when Jesus was marching up that hill of Calvary, you were really joined together to him. And as the nails went through his hands and the nails in his feet, what you deserved, he took and you were joined together with him when he paid that penalty. He bore the curse for what's wrong with you, what's wrong with me. He died the death that we should have died and he were joined together with him as he was crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. And friends, what that means is that old you, that old man who was enslaved to all that power of sin, has been killed, been nailed to the cross with Jesus. Now, of course, you're still going to be tempted. You're still going to be drawn back into that old habitual sin, but its power has been broken because the old you has been killed. You're not just the same old you you always were, but just forgiven now. That's not who you are any longer. That old man has been crucified with Christ. Like St. Augustine described, before we knew Jesus, we were not able not to sin. Now, I know that drives the English teachers out there crazy, using that double negative, but it works. It's purposeful. Before we knew Jesus, we had no ability not to sin. We had no ability to reform our lives and and produce anything that is beautiful before the Lord. We were not able not to sin. And that old you who was not able not to sin, in bondage to sin, if you've believed in Jesus, you've trusted in Jesus, you've been united to Jesus, that old you has been killed. He's been crucified with Christ. And God has raised Jesus from the dead And the new you still being united to Jesus, you're alive with him. And it's now a new you, joined to Jesus, participating in Jesus. The I who is alive now is the one who is a new creation. Paul says, Christ in me. That's who you are. God has given you incredible freedom. He's given you life, as Paul puts it in Romans 6, verse 4. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too are given power to live a new life because Christ is alive in you. The point is not that I can sin all I want to and go to heaven when I die. The point is that there's a whole new you. You're not totally new yet. That will happen when Jesus returns, but you are genuinely new right now. There's a shift in your life. You were able to say no to sin and yes to obedience to the Lord. You are able to be free from that bondage to your sin. You're not totally free from its bondage. You still are tempted. You're still drawn back into it. But you are genuinely new because Jesus is alive in you. That's the hope of the gospel. It happens today. And friends, that is such incredible news that you have the power to say no to those old, lingering, sinful desires. You can say no. And you can have the Spirit work in you such that you are more like Jesus. That old you that drags you back, 
drags you and me back into our selfishness, into those old longings, into those old habits. That old you has been crucified and now you've been born again and led by the Spirit. And that's the real you. The Jesus who heals, the Jesus who gives us new power, the Jesus who enables us to follow after him. We don't have it in ourselves, but he can produce it within us because we are joined to Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We're glorious ruins, but praise God because Jesus came. We are going from glory unto glory. What he's done for us. That healing and that restoration is alive and at work in every place that has been ruined by the fall. That restoration of Jesus is at work in your mind, in your emotions, in your will, in your soul. And even in your body one day it will be made brand new. We're new creatures in Christ. Let me close with this. Students, I want you to listen up. This is really important. I want you to pay attention, kids. Adults, you can listen in too if you want to. But I really am interested in making sure the kids hear what I have to say. My son Isaiah and I have a running debate. It's been going on for years. And the debate that we have going is, who is the best superhero? I think Batman's the best superhero. He clearly is the coolest. He has the best tools. He can do all these amazing things. He's strong. He's, he, Batman is the best. But Isaiah says, no, Dad, Spider-Man's the best. He's certain about it. In fact, I asked Isaiah, could I tell this story in church today? And he said, yes, but Dad, you know I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I think he may be more right than not. Because what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that being united to Jesus is a little bit like Spider-Man. This is what I mean. You know how the story goes. Peter Parker, that super smart teenager who gets bitten by an irradiated spider and all the spider powers become part of Peter, right? He's still Peter, but Peter without the limits of his old life. He's Peter who can climb walls. He's Peter who has this crazy strength. He's Peter who can take a punch and keep coming back. He's Peter who can hear conversations way far away from him. He's Peter who can shoot webs out of his wrists and go from building to building in Manhattan. He's, he's kind of like the old Peter, but I mean, he's way better than the old Peter, right? Being united to Jesus is kind of like that. You're still the same you, but with the renewing power of the living Son of God alive within you. The one who put death itself to death. The one who stood in death's door and said, stop. You can't harass my people any longer. They belong to me. That Jesus is alive in you. And so you have access to Jesus' courage, Jesus' power, Jesus' strength, Jesus' love. All these things we don't have in ourselves, we now have because we are joined to Jesus. And he's alive within us. And you don't have to be the same old you, just forgiven. You're a whole new person, a whole new creature, because you're joined to Jesus. And here's what I want you to really remember. That is true whether you feel it or not. There are going to be days when you don't feel like Jesus is alive in you. 
There are going to be days when you're ashamed and you're discouraged and you feel like you don't have any strength in you and you, you can't keep going in the hardship that you're facing. There will be days like that. And on those days, on your worst days, you are no less joined to Jesus than you are on your best day. That same Jesus is alive and at work in you. You belong to him, you're joined to him, and his resurrection life is still given to you whether you feel it or not. I think that was the Apostle Paul's secret sauce, that he knew that truth. That's what enabled him to keep going when he was beaten within an inch of his life over and over and over again. That's what gave him strength to keep going with hope when he was thrown in jail. That's what strengthened him to continue to preach even when people hated him because he knew the presence of God within him. And friends, that same power and presence of God is given to you. Christ is in you and he gives you strength to say no to sin and yes to godliness because the power of your ruin has been broken and you are on the road to restoration. That's the real you. Live in the real you today. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we are overwhelmed by everything that's wrong with us and that's wrong with this world. I know, Lord, when we watch the news, we can't help but be, be overwhelmed by all the disasters, all the war, all the pain, all the deceit. And then when I look inside my own heart, I see more of the same. And so, Jesus, we need you. We need you to help us see ourselves as you do. We need to feel your power in us. We need your strength to say no to our sin and no to despair and yes to hope, yes to love, yes to faithfulness. So help us, Lord, because I have been crucified with Christ and yet Christ lives within me. Lord, give us that strength, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.